0: section twenty five of man and wife this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org recording by shi Lin, man and wife by Welkie collins fourth scene windy gates chapter the twenty first part two he found himself hardly knowing how he had got there under the walnut-tree once more in a few minutes his hardy nerves had recovered themselves he could laugh over the remembrance of the strange impression that had been produced on him frightened for the first time in my life he thought and that by an old woman it's time i went into training again when things have come to this he looked at his watch it was close on the luncheon hour up at the house and he had not decided yet what to do about his letter to anne he resolved to decide then and there the woman the dumb woman with the stony face and the horrid eyes reappeared in his thoughts and got in the way of his decision pooh some crazed old servant who might once have been cook who was kept out of charity now nothing more important than that no more of her no more of her he laid himself down on the grass and gave his mind to the serious question how to address anne as mrs arnold brinkworth and how to make sure of her receiving the letter the dumb old woman got in his way again he closed his eyes impatiently and tried to shut her out in the darkness of his own making the woman showed herself through the darkness he saw her as if he had just asked her a question writing on her slate what she wrote he failed to make out it was all over in an instant he started up with a feeling of astonishment at himself and at the same moment his brain cleared with the suddenness of a flash of light he saw his way without a conscious effort on his own part through the difficulty that had troubled him two envelopes of course an inner one unsealed and addressed to mrs arnold brinkworth an outer one sealed and addressed to mrs sylvester and there was the problem solved surely the simplest problem that had ever puzzled a stupid head why had he not seen it before impossible to say how came he to have seen it now the dumb old woman reappeared in his thoughts as if the answer to the question lay in something connected with her he became alarmed about himself for the first time in his life had this persistent impression produced by nothing but a crazy old woman anything to do with the broken health which the surgeon had talked about was his head on the turn or had he smoked too much on an empty stomach and gone too long after travelling all night without his customary drink of ale he left the garden to put that latter theory to the tests forthwith the betting would have gone dead against him if the public had seen him at that moment he looked haggard and anxious and with good reason too his nervous system had suddenly forced itself on his notice without the slightest previous introduction and was saying in an unknown tongue here i am returning to the purely ornamental part of the grounds geoffrey encountered one of the footmen giving a message to one of the gardeners he at once asked for the butler as the only safe authority to consult in the present emergency conducted to the butler's pantry geoffrey requested that functionary to produce a jug of his oldest ale with appropriate solid nourishment in the shape of a hunk of bread and cheese the butler stared as a form of condescension among the upper classes this was quite new to him luncheon will be ready directly sir what's there for lunch the butler ran over an appetizing list of good dishes and rare wines the devil take your kick shots said geoffrey give me my old ale and my hunk of bread and cheese where will you take them sir here to be sure and the sooner the better the butler issued the necessary orders with all needful alacrity he spread the simple refreshment demanded before his distinguished guest. in a state of blank bewilderment here was a nobleman's son and a public celebrity into the bargain filling himself with bread and cheese and ale in at once the most voracious and the most unpretending manner at his table the butler ventured on a little complimentary familiarity he smiled and touched the betting book in his breast pocket i've put six pound on you sir for the race all right old boy you shall win your money with those noble words the honourable gentleman clapped him on the back and held out his tumbler for some more ale the butler felt trebly an englishman as he filled the foaming glass ah foreign nations may have their revolutions foreign aristocracies may tumble down the british aristocracy lives in the hearts of the people and lives for ever another said geoffrey presenting his empty glass here's luck he tossed off his liquor at a draught and nodded to the butler and went out had the experiment succeeded had he proved his own theory about himself to be right not a doubt of it an empty stomach and a determination of tobacco to the head these were the true causes of that strange state of mind into which he had fallen in the kitchen garden the dumb woman with the stony face vanished as if in a mist he felt nothing now but a comfortable buzzing in his head a genial warmth all over him and an unlimited capacity for carrying any responsibility that could rest on mortal shoulders geoffrey was himself again He went round toward the library to write his letter to Anne, and so have done with that, to begin with. The company had collected in the library waiting for the luncheon-bell. All were idly talking, and some would be certain if he showed himself to fasten on him. He turned back again without showing himself the only way of writing in peace and quietness would be to wait until they were all at luncheon and then return to the library the same opportunity would serve also for finding a messenger to take the letter without exciting attention and for going away afterward unseen on a long walk by himself an absence of two or three hours would cast the necessary dust in arnold's eyes for it would be certainly interpreted by him as meaning absence at an interview with anne he strode idly through the grounds farther and farther away from the house the talk in the library aimless and empty enough for the most part was talk to the purpose in one corner of the room in which sir patrick and blanche were sitting together uncle I have been watching you for the last minute or two. And my age, Blanche, that is paying me a very pretty compliment. Do you know what I have seen? You have seen an old gentleman in want of his lunch. I have seen an old gentleman with something on his mind. What is it? Suppressed gout, my dear. That won't do. I am not to be put off in that way. Uncle, I want to know. Stop there, Blanche. A young lady who says she wants to know expresses very dangerous sentiments. Eve wanted to know, and see what it led to. Faust wanted to know, and got into bad company as the necessary result. You are feeling anxious about something, persisted Blanche, and, what is more, Sir Patrick, you behaved in a most unaccountable manner a little while since when when you went and hid yourself with mr delamayn in that snug corner there i saw you lead the way in while i was at work on lady lundie's odious dinner invitations oh you call that being at work do you i wonder whether there was ever a woman yet who could give the whole of her mind to any earthly thing that she had to do never mind the women what subject in common could you and mr delamayn possibly have to talk about and why do i see a wrinkle between your eyebrows now you have done with him a wrinkle which certainly wasn't there before you had that private conference together before answering sir patrick considered whether he should take blanche into his confidence or not the attempt to identify geoffrey's unnamed lady which he was determined to make would lead him to craig Fernie, and would no doubt end in obliging him to address himself to anne blanche's intimate knowledge of her friend might unquestionably be made useful to him under these circumstances and blanche's discretion was to be trusted in any matter in which miss Sylvester's interests were concerned on the other hand caution was imperatively necessary in the present imperfect state of his information and caution in sir patrick's mind carried the day he decided to wait and see what came first of his investigation at the inn mr Delamayn consulted me on a dry point of law in which a friend of his was interested said sir patrick you have wasted your curiosity my dear on a subject totally unworthy of a lady's notice blanche's penetration was not to be deceived on such easy terms as these why not say at once that you won't tell me she rejoined you shutting yourself up with mr delamayn to talk law you looking absent and anxious about it afterward i am a very unhappy girl said blanche with a little bitter sigh there's something in me that seems to repel the people i love not a word in confidence can i get from anne and not a word in confidence can i get from you and i do so long to sympathize it's very hard i think i shall go to arnold sir patrick took his niece's hand stop a minute blanche about miss Sylvester. have you heard from her to-day no i'm more unhappy about her than words can say suppose somebody went to craig fernie and tried to find out the cause of miss Sylvester's silence will you believe that somebody sympathized with you then blanche's face flushed brightly with pleasure and surprise she raised sir patrick's hand gratefully to her lips oh she exclaimed you don't mean that you would do that i'm certainly the last person who ought to do it seeing that you went to the inn in flat rebellion against my orders and that i only forgave you on your own promise of amendment the other day it is a miserably weak proceeding on the part of the head of the family to be turning his back on his own principles because his niece happens to be anxious and unhappy. Still, if you could lend me your little carriage, I might take a surly drive toward Craigferney all by myself, and I might stumble against Miss Sylvester in case you have anything to say. Anything to say? repeated blanche she put her arm round her uncle's neck and whispered in his ear one of the most interminable messages that ever was sent from one human being to another sir patrick listened with a growing interest in the inquiry on which he was secretly bent the woman must have some noble qualities he thought who can inspire such devotion as this while blanche was whispering to her uncle a second private conference of the purely domestic sort was taking place between lady lundie and the butler in the hall outside the library door i am sorry to say my lady hester dethridge has broken out again what do you mean she was all right my lady when she went into the kitchen garden some time since she's taken strange again now she has come back wants the rest of the day to herself your ladyship says she is overworked with all the company in the house and i must say does look like a person troubled and worn out in body and mind don't talk nonsense roberts the woman is obstinate and idle and insolent She's now in the house as you know under a month's notice to leave if she doesn't choose to do her duty for that month i shall refuse to give her a character who is to cook the dinner to-day if i give hester dethridge leave to go out anyway my lady i am afraid the kitchen-maid will have to do her best to-day hester is very obstinate when the fit takes her as your ladyship says if hester dethridge leaves the kitchen-maid to cook the dinner roberts hester dethridge leaves my service to-day i want no more words about it if she persists in setting my orders at defiance let her bring her account-book into the library while we are at lunch and lay it out on my desk i shall be back in the library after luncheon and if i see the account-book i shall know what it means in that case you will receive my directions to settle with her and send her away ring the luncheon-bell the luncheon-bell rang the guests all took the direction of the dining-room sir patrick following from the far end of the library with blanche on his arm arrived at the dining-room door blanche stopped and asked her uncle to excuse her if she left him to go in by himself i will be back directly she said i have forgotten something upstairs sir patrick went in the dining-room door closed and blanche returned alone to the library now on one pretence and now on another she had for three days past faithfully fulfilled the engagement she had made at craig fernie to wait ten minutes after luncheon-time in the library on the chance of seeing anne on this the fourth occasion the faithful girl sat down alone in the great room and waited with her eyes fixed on the lawn outside five minutes passed and nothing living appeared but the birds hopping about the grass in less than a minute more blanche's quick ear caught the faint sound of a woman's dress brushing over the lawn she ran to the nearest window looked out and clapped her hands with a cry of delight there was the well-known figure rapidly approaching her anne was true to their friendship anne had kept her engagement at last blanche hurried out and drew her into the library in triumph this makes amends love for everything you answer my letter in the best of all ways you bring me your own dear self she placed anne in a chair and lifting her veil saw her plainly in the brilliant midday light the change in the whole woman was nothing less than dreadful to the loving eyes that rested on her she looked years older than her real age there was a dull calm in her face a stagnant stupefied submission to anything pitiable to see three days and nights of solitude and grief Three days and nights of unresting and unpartaken suspense had crushed that sensitive nature, had frozen that warm heart. The animating spirit was gone. The mere shell of the woman lived and moved, a mockery of her former self. Oh, Anne, Anne, what can have happened to you? Are you frightened? There's not the least fear of anybody disturbing us they are all at luncheon and the servants are at dinner we have the room entirely to ourselves my darling you look so faint and strange let me get you something anne drew blanche's head down and kissed her it was done in a dull slow way without a word without a tear without a sigh you are tired i am sure you are tired have you walked here you shan't go back on foot i'll take care of that anne roused herself at those words she spoke for the first time the tone was lower than was natural to her sadder than was natural to her but the charm of her voice the native gentleness and beauty of it seemed to have survived the wreck of all besides i don't go back blanche i have left the inn left the inn with your husband she answered the first question not the second i can't go back she said the inn is no place for me a curse seems to follow me blanche wherever i go i am the cause of quarrelling and wretchedness without meaning it god knows the old man who is head-waiter at the inn has been kind to me my dear in his way and he and the landlady had hard words together about it a quarrel, a shocking violent quarrel. He has lost his place in consequence. The woman, his mistress, lays all the blame of it to my door. She is a hard woman, and she has been harder than ever since Bishop went away. I have missed a letter at the inn. I must have thrown it aside, I suppose, and forgotten it i only know that i remembered about it and couldn't find it last night i told the landlady and she fastened a quarrel on me almost before the words were out of my mouth asked me if i charged her with stealing my letter said things to me i can't repeat them i am not very well and not able to deal with people of that sort i thought it best to leave craig fernie this morning i hope and pray i shall never see craig fernie again she told her little story with a total absence of emotion of any sort and laid her head back wearily on the chair when it was done blanche's eyes filled with tears at the sight of her i won't tease you with questions anne she said gently come upstairs and rest in my room you are not fit to travel love I'll take care that nobody comes near us. The stable clock at Windygate's struck the quarter to two. Anne raised herself in the chair with a start. What time was that? she asked. Blanche told her. I can't stay, she said. I have come here to find something out if I can. You won't ask me questions? Don't, Blanche, don't. For the sake of old times. Blanche turned aside heart-sick i will do nothing dear to annoy you she said and took anne's hand and hid the tears that were beginning to fall over her cheeks i want to know something blanche will you tell me yes what is it who are the gentlemen staying in the house blanche looked round at her again in sudden astonishment and alarm a vague fear seized her that anne's mind had given way under the heavy weight of trouble laid on it anne persisted in pressing her strange request run over their names blanche i have a reason for wishing to know who the gentlemen are who are staying in the house blanche repeated the names of lady lundie's guests leaving to the last the guests who had arrived last two more came back this morning she went on arnold brinkworth and that hateful friend of his mr Delamayn. anne's head sank back once more on the chair she had found her way without exciting suspicion of the truth to the one discovery which she had come to windygates to make he was in scotland again and he had only arrived from london that morning there was barely time for him to have communicated with craig fernie before she left the inn he too who hated letter-writing the circumstances were all in his favour there was no reason there was really and truly no reason so far to believe that he had deserted her the heart of the unhappy woman bounded in her bosom under the first ray of hope that had warmed it for four days past under that sudden revulsion of feeling her weakened frame shook from head to foot her face flushed deep for a moment then turned deadly pale again blanche anxiously watching her saw the serious necessity for giving some restorative to her instantly i'm going to get you some wine you will faint anne if you don't take something i shall be back in a moment and i can manage it without anybody being the wiser she pushed anne's chair close to the nearest open window a window at the upper end of the library and ran out blanche had barely left the room by the door that led into the hall when geoffrey entered it by one of the lower windows opening from the lawn with his mind absorbed in the letter that he was about to write, he slowly advanced up the room toward the nearest table. and hearing the sound of footsteps, started and looked round. Her failing strength rallied in an instant, under the sudden relief of seeing him again. She rose and advanced eagerly, with a faint tinge of color in her cheeks. He looked up the two stood face to face together alone geoffrey he looked at her without answering without advancing a step on his side there was an evil light in his eyes his silence was the brute silence that threatens dumbly he had made up his mind never to see her again and she had entrapped him into an interview he had made up his mind to write and there she stood forcing him to speak the sum of her offences against him was now complete if there had ever been the faintest hope of her raising even a passing pity in his heart that hope would have been annihilated now she failed to understand the full meaning of his silence she made her excuses poor soul for venturing back to windygates Her excuses to the man whose purpose at that moment was to throw her helpless on the world. Pray forgive me for coming here, she said. I have done nothing to compromise you, Geoffrey. Nobody but Blanche knows I am at Windygates, and I have contrived to make my inquiries about you without allowing her to suspect our secret. She stopped and began to tremble. She saw something more in his face than she had read in it at first i got your letter she went on rallying her sinking courage i don't complain of its being so short you don't like letter-writing i know but you promised i should hear from you again and i have never heard and oh geoffrey it was so lonely at the inn she stopped again and supported herself by resting her hand on the table the faintness was stealing back on her she tried to go on again it was useless she could only look at him now what do you want he asked in the tone of a man who was putting an unimportant question to a total stranger a last gleam of her old energy flickered up in her face like a dying flame i am broken by what i have gone through she said don't insult me by making me remind you of your promise what promise for shame geoffrey for shame you promised to marry me you claim my promise after what you have done at the inn she steadied herself against the table with one hand and put the other hand to her head her brain was giddy the effort to think was too much for her she said to herself vacantly the inn what did i do at the inn i have had a lawyer's advice mine i know what i am talking about she appeared not to have heard him she repeated the words what did i do at the inn and gave it up in despair holding by the table she came close to him and laid her hand on his arm do you refuse to marry me she asked he saw the vile opportunity and said the vile words you are married already to arnold brinkworth without a cry to warn him without an effort to save herself she dropped senseless at his feet as her mother had dropped at his father's feet in the bygone time he disentangled himself from the folds of her dress done he said looking down at her as she lay on the floor as the word fell from his lips, he was startled by a sound in the inner part of the house. One of the library doors had not been completely closed. Light footsteps were audible, advancing rapidly across the hall. He turned and fled, leaving the library as he had entered it by the open window at the lower end of the room. End of section 25. Recording by Shi Ping Ning.